Andy Griffin Show, the number one talk show in St. George, starring Andy Griffin. Ah, that's me. Thank you for joining me on the show today. It's 10 minutes after 9 o'clock. I feel like it's kind of weird. It was a very slow morning, then all of a sudden everything hit right at 8 o'clock. I had 87 things I had to do. So the last 10 minutes have been crazy, but uh, now I can relax. I'm uh, here with you folks, and uh, we're going to have a nice time on the show today. And joining me, uh, usual Monday guest, although we took last week off, is uh, Brian Hyde. Brian, how are you this morning? Hey, Fantastic. I'm, I'm kind of grooving on that whole AG approved thing. Yeah, uh, I, I mean, it's uh, almost like you got elevated to attorney general because that's the first thing I thought was, <laughs> "Wow, man!" If the AG, the Andy Griffin approves of this, it must be good. Uh, yeah. Well, they, you know, when I, actually when I first started here, just uh, about a year and a half ago, uh, our sales uh, uh, marketing manager Bart Taylor came to me and he said, "What do you think about this?" And I'm like, "Why would anybody care what I approve of?" And he said, well, you're missing the point. You're a radio show host, and you approve of stuff, so people will check it out. So he talked me into it, and here we are. Works for me. Now, if I could get my kids to sign off on the idea, I'd have it made. BH approved, huh? Brian Hyde approved? That'd be cool. Or even just dad approved. <laughs> well, there's dad a lot of those out there. Dad approved of these dishes in the sink. You know, something like that. <laughs> Dad does approve of donuts with cream cheese and raspberry inside of them. I know that. So, hey, I know, uh, I know you're a barbecue aficionado, so I will tell you this. As as a dad, I approve of my son's growing ability to cook ribs. Holy cow. He made up a St. Louis-style rack yesterday. Yeah? And he would, you'd have been proud. It would have been AG approved had you been able to come over for dinner. How old is your son? He is 19. 19. Starting him early, getting him trained right. I like that. I have. Uh, yeah, he's a protege. <laughs> I have. I have three sons. My my uh, middle son is an excellent smoker. He's got a Traeger. He does a fantastic job. My oldest son is pretty good. He, he I actually gave him one of my old smokers. He does a pretty good job. And my third son, I'm sad to say, couldn't tell a rib. Couldn't tell a St. Louis from a baby back. I'll tell you that right now. So could be worse. He could yeah. be vegan. <laughs> Ooh, don't go there. No, no, that, that, we, we just don't even want to cross that bridge at all. Well, I was enjoying some of your uh, some of your stuff on LovingLiberty.net. Uh, there were three things that kind of jumped out at me, and uh, and I, I, I'd like to talk about them if that's okay with you. But the uh, one other thing, kind of a personal thing, I don't know if you want to talk about it. You did put it on social media, so I assume it's okay to talk about, was you were able to connect with your biological father. How awesome is that? It was a cool experience. We've been emailing back and forth for a couple of weeks, but um, he actually sent me his phone number yesterday and said, hey, give me a call. Let's let's talk. And and it was, I don't know, it was very, it was a very comfortable conversation. Kind of, kind of seemed like it should have been more awkward, but it just, it just felt very natural. Did it feel like you've, you've known him for a long, long time, that, that kind of conversation? Um, not in the sense that I've known him for a long time, but just there's a, there, there is a familiarity there. Mm-hmm. I, I have to tell you, my kids were wondering, um, Dad, what does his voice sound like? Does his voice sound anything like yours? <laughs> Truth be told, he has a better voice than I do. Oh. He just, really, he really has a great expressive voice. Um, thankfully, he was smart, though. Never got into radio. You know, he yeah. did something with himself instead. So. so he actually made money in life instead of, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it, it was it was neat. And, you know, he loves to laugh, which I was like, oh, that's, that is so great. If he'd, if he'd have been really grumpy... I'd have probably been a little disappointed. That'd have been tough. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I, I am not an adopted, so I've obviously I know my biological parents. I, and my my wife was wondering the other day. She's like, I wonder what it's like to have that weird little hole inside of you, that that yearning to find out 
where you came from. Uh, and we don't know. You, maybe Can you, Brian, express a little bit about what that has been like for you? You know, for most of my life, I grew up understanding from an early, early age that I was adopted. Mm-hmm. And so I, I never really perceived that I was missing anything. I knew who my parents were, and I knew that uh, I was adopted. And as I get older, though, and maybe it's just, you know, because you see mortality suddenly starts to look a little more real. And uh, you start wondering, well, I'd like to know a little bit more about my beginning. And when I when I first made contact with my biological dad, I realized wow, there really is. There's a hole in my life that I had never really noticed before. And suddenly, you know, that hole is is healing. And I thought, that's so interesting. And and you also were able to connect, I think, what, a a few months ago with your biological mother as well? I have not been able to connect. Oh, you have not? Okay. I have have sent her a letter with an invitation to connect if she would like. But um, the ball is in her court. And so right now, uh, it's, it's my duty to just, to wait. Mm, Got to be pins and needles a little bit there, though. Huh? Kind of waiting and wondering. To, yeah. <laughs> to see a photo of, of my biological parents was so interesting because it's the first time in my life I've ever looked at people who came before me who look like me. You know, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. My, my kids are all geeking out over it. I got to say, the whole DNA thing, 23 and me, um, that's possibly the best Father's Day gift I've ever received. And that's that's what my son gave me this year. I don't know. My wife wants to get me a, a recliner, so that that might be close. <laughs> close second. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's talk a little bit about uh, about what's going on in your podcast. By the way, the website again is LovingLiberty.net, and we are close to getting Brian on the uh, on the uh, air here on KDXU on weekends. Uh, a couple things jumped out at me. One of them. Uh, talk about individualism. Now, it, obviously, you know, you say, okay, individual. Well, that means being me and stuff, but it's a little bit more than that, isn't it, Brian? Well, you know, there's been a lot of focus and, and a lot of friction over the, you know, Black Lives Matter and, you know, all lives matter. And if you if you do say all lives matter, some people will get really angry because oh, you're yeah. not, you know, getting on the bandwagon. And, you know, how dare you suggest that, you know, this cause doesn't matter. But at the, at the root of identity politics, and I'm sorry, Black Lives Matter is a part of that. Um, Blue Lives Matter is a part of that. Anytime we start breaking ourselves out in groups. We're engaging in a form of collectivism. Hmm. And I, I, I use the word collectivism just because, you know, liberal, conservative doesn't really apply so much. Racism at its heart is like the ugliest form of collectivism because it judges people based on what group you think they belong in as opposed to what are they like individually. It's a, a kind of kind of a, almost stereotyping. It is. And, and it substitutes uh, labels for actual observation, and, and it, it doesn't do any, any services to anyone. So there's a, there's a terrific article from uh, Raymond Niles, and this is published on the American Institute for Economic Research, and he just says individualism is the answer. If we want to get out of this friction and this constant fighting, rioting in the streets that we're seeing, focus on protecting the rights of the individual. Stop trying to break it down into, well, this group matters. I mean, it's, look, it's Pride Month. So we're supposed to, you know, how many businesses that a couple weeks ago, hey, we're all gay in this business. Now we're all black in this business. They're pandering to that group identity mindset. Why not just focus on everybody matters? Everybody's rights matter. And if we really stand for that and, and uphold the idea that every individual's rights matter, guess what? We're all protected as opposed to tribalized. 
the uh, you know you, you go of course this all sparked by the death of George Floyd who was uh, well for lack of a better word he was murdered by a police officer who kneeled on his neck and uh, you know I, to me it, I, it was really frustrating that it became a political and a collective issue about how all police are bad all black people are being persecuted uh, all white people are racist I mean sometimes it feels like that. Brian, uh, and, and so I understand what you're saying with individualism. Is that how we should have treated this right from the very beginning? Is that the whole problem here? Well, the officer who knelt on George Floyd's neck, he bears responsibility for his actions. And the officers who were there who could have and should have stopped him from doing what he was doing, they bear responsibility as well. So they've been arrested. They've been you know, um, charged with various crimes, and they, they're being held individually accountable. You and I do not bear responsibility for what happened there. And uh, honestly, I believe what was going through that officer's mind as he was kneeling on this guy's neck wasn't racism. It wasn't the thought of, you know, I'm doing this because he's a black man and I'm a white man. I think it was more he was doing it because I represent the state, and the state is never wrong. Mm -hmm. And the state is never wrong at the expense of this man's individual rights. You see where it comes back to that individualism? Yeah. If the state strictly respected individual rights, that wouldn't happen. Yeah. Well well said. And, and I don't know. How do we avoid it, though? What's, what's, what can we do now, Brian, uh, on, on a personal level to, to help make it, you know, to, to help bring that home? I'll tell you what, what won't work is a collective solution. Let's make a law and we'll force everybody yeah. to think this way or feel this way. That doesn't work. All that does is create resentment because you're using the force of government to try to achieve an outcome. So if we want to do something, let's say, let's just take, for instance, I want to, I want to root out prejudice or discrimination or um, injustice in society. The first thing I do is I get my own house in order. I rectify my heart. Mm. I treat people the way that I would want to be treated, and by the power of example, I draw other people along with me. It sounds like, well, it's not going to affect a society-wide change, and you're right, it won't. But it will have influence on people who are within your orbit. They will see it. If you are doing it right, they will see by your actions, this is a better way. And that is, that's where they freely choose, I want to live that better way, as opposed to having their arm twisted and being told, you will live this way or else. It seems like that is such a good answer to so many of our society's ails. The the phrase that jumps to my mind is lift where you stand. In other words, wherever you are, make that a better place. And if you make where you are a better place, then uh, and we all make an effort to do that, then the world becomes a better place. Every one of us has influence, and we sometimes minimize it or we pretend, well, you know, I'm just one person. What difference can I make? But even if one other person is impacted positively by your influence, how can you deny that that's made a difference? I mean, every one of us can look around in our lives, and, and there are people, individuals that we encountered, who through the sheer um, goodness of their character or their, the kindness of their actions impacted us for the better. The trick is now, be that kind of person, as opposed to just a person who stands there yelling, I'm against this, I'm against that. That's easy. <laughs> Living as a good person takes effort. Let's do a little practical application here. I went to a wedding, Brian, up there in your neck of what actually up by Ogden this weekend. And uh, as we transition this to COVID-19 a little bit, I went to a wedding. It was an outdoor wedding. There was a, maybe 200-ish people there. And uh, there was one person wearing a mask. 
in this outdoor way. There was some hugging. There was some handshake. Not a ton, but some. Uh, as an individual, we talk about individualism, then apply it to this other thing, this COVID-19. Should I have been wearing a mask? Should I have done more? Or maybe is this whole COVID-19 thing a little bit overblown? You know, there's, I think it's clear that some of the guesses that were made by experts gravely overestimated just how dangerous this virus was, which is not to say that it's a big hoax or, you know, it's, it's a conspiracy. It just means that they made a guess, they got it wrong, and, and they appear at least of now to be unwilling to walk it back. I think that uh, if, if a person asks me, for instance, my mom's 85 years old, and when I go to visit her, if she asks me, would you mind wearing a mask, I am going to wear a mask out of respect for her. Mm-hmm. Um, if I go into a store, though, you know, I assume that most people are at that store because they've, they've weighed the risks and assumed that, you know, whatever the risk is, I'm going to come here, I'm going to shop, do my thing. I, too, have weighed the risk, and I don't feel like I need to be wearing a mask. So I, I take it on a case-by-case basis. I'm not going to shame somebody for wearing one, but I don't want to stand for somebody shaming me for not wearing one either. Let's talk a little bit now. You, you uh, refer to this article by John Miltimore about uh, some intelligence problems back back in the Iraq War, and and the fact that we thought, at least the intelligence that we were told, was that Iraq had weapons of mass destruction. As it turns out, they didn't. Talk a little bit about what went wrong there and how that applies now, Brian. Well, the the problem was you had three distinct entities that all bought into and perpetuated bad information, lawmakers, bureaucrats, and media. Mm-hmm. And, and I remember very well that run-up to the Iraq war was, that was a hard time for me because I was one of those dissenting voices going, we shouldn't be doing this, this is, this is immoral. And, and, you know, but everybody knew, the experts knew, and the experts said this, and public opinion seems to support it, and yet we got in there, and it wasn't borne out. And this is something that John Miltimore points to, that, you know, the, the evidence simply wasn't there that there were nuclear weapons that would justify invading this country and and toppling Saddam. Likening that to the COVID virus, or to the coronavirus, we had lawmakers, we had bureaucrats, and we had media all falling in lockstep over what we have to do. Let's shut down the global economy. Let's close down travel. Let's do this and that. And they'll say it's it's all we could do. We had no choice. But the reality is they saw no other choice. And, and they were mistaken. It turns out the, the lethality is, is far less, at least for those outside of a very narrow at-risk group. Right. So a, a lot of needless suffering has been caused. And, and the point of John Miltimore's article is there was a lot of needless suffering in the Middle East and in Iraq as a result of experts, media, and, and um, or bureaucrats, media, and politicians being wrong. We're seeing the same thing today. You know, I, I, you mentioned those three entities, the bureaucrats, lawmakers, and the media. I think anymore, Brian, and maybe you can address this, but I think anymore the media is not one of those entities that makes any of those decisions. All the media does now is go along with what they're told by the lawmakers and the bureaucrats. They're just, they're just a sounding board. They, they have, media has ceased to think for itself for the most part. Yeah, they've definitely become more of a lapdog than a watchdog. Mm-hmm. And, and, that, and that's a shame, because instead of giving us the facts of what's going on and letting us decide, okay, what does this mean, um, most of what we get, at least, and I'm talking through mass media, and this includes Fox News as well as CNN, there's, a, there's an agenda or there's a narrative that's telling us what to think as opposed to here are the facts, now you choose what to make of it. 
I remember not even I okay, I guess it was a long time ago. Thirty years ago is a long time ago now, but to to me it doesn't seem like that long ago. Uh there was a there was something called an investigative journalist and his his this person's goal, him or her, was to get to the bottom get to the real truth of the story. There wasn't an agenda. It was I'm gonna find out what really happened because what they're telling me doesn't sound right. And uh what what has happened to the investigative journalists? I think I mean there's some that still call themselves that, Brian. But these are guys that are just doing what their what their producers are telling them to do. Oh, he wants me to do a story about this. I'm going to go angle everything I do about this. You'll still find a few that I think uh, merit you know the title journalist. Ben Swan is I think a great example of this. Um, not because I agree with everything that he reports, but I will say this: when he gets something wrong, which occasionally everybody does. He will come back and he will make a correction. He will admit, we got this wrong. Or in light of new information, we have to offer this clarification. You know, you don't see that in many other places. John Stossel is another good example. I like John Stossel, yeah. You know, he he goes for the facts. And, uh, you know, Cheryl Atkinson, another one. It's sad there's so few. You can name them on one hand. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, good point. And even those people, you know, at times they probably have a boss that says, "Hey, you really can't do that story." And then it's interesting that the fight ensues. I've, as a journalist, as a writer for now, well, thirty years, I've had editors tell me, "You can't write that story." And that is, <laughs> if you're a real journalist, that is, those are fighting words right there. You can't, you can't write about that. You can't write that story, or or you might get fired. You know, that makes you want to write it more. I think. Uh, Brian, we do have a couple of callers who have been very patient. You you mind taking a couple of calls? Let's do it. All right. Uh, caller, you're on with Andy and with Brian Hyde this morning. What's on your mind? Andy and Brian, um, I just want to go back to something Brian said earlier in the uh, in the call. Um, you know, we we have all these labels: left, right, conservative, liberal. I mean, there's there's a litany of them. And, and Brian has actually identified what I think is the correct way to look at. Uh, at, at people, and that is you're either a collectivist or you're an individualist. Hmm. And there is an excellent video. It's very old. It was 1962-63. G. Edward Griffin, and I know, Andy, you've heard that name yeah. several times in the last year. I've tried to get uh, him I, on the show, too. <laughs> he, well, he's not He's not that hard. He, he's out there. Just please keep trying. Okay. But he, he's got a video on YouTube. It's called This is the John Birch Society. And for two, about an hour, it's a long video, but I guarantee you it's worth an hour and a half of everybody's time. I've never seen a man be able to express views and principles without script, without humming and hawing, and you know, you know, this man is an unbelievable uh, speaker. And uh, please, people, what Brian's talking about, individualists and collectivists, it would clear the air. It would make it very clear uh, a Republican calling himself a Republican, he's probably a collectivist or he's an individualist. And unfortunately, most of our politicians these days are collectivists because that's that seems to be the political wind right now. But uh, it would Amen. be great if we could start calling people by and not labeling them because labels, that, that's another conversation. But you're either an individualist or you're a collectivist. And if we could start talking about people in that framework, it would be a lot clearer where somebody's coming from. Hey, well said. Well said. You know, and, and Brian, I wanted to, it's, it's kind of funny. When you're a young person, you yearn for, in, for collectivism. 
you yearn to fit in. There's, I don't know a teenager in this world that's 15 years old that wants to stick out like a sore thumb. You know, whether you've got yeah. the, the pimple on your forehead or, or maybe <laughs> mom and dad can't buy you the stylish clothes or you have to drive an 18-year-old car instead of, a, you know, the cool Camaro that the, that the, you know, the quarterback is driving or, or whatever. You want to fit in. And, and you know, Brian, I'm, I'm six foot five. You know, in high school, I was six five, two fifty. Now, imagine walking around the hallways of a high school as you know, six feet five inches tall and upwards of you know, over two hundred pounds. I didn't fit into anything, but I yearned for it so badly. And I think that's one of the things that we find is when, how, at what point does a person step away from wanting to be a collectivist and, and wanting to be an individualist. I don't know when that point is. Well, when they become comfortable with themselves, when they, when they, their self-worth doesn't have to come from without, that's, hmm. that's one point where it happens. And, and I, I totally identify with what you're saying. The big problem I see with collectivism is so many people will use, well, this is what the collective wants, to run roughshod over someone else's rights. And it, it's very sad. You know, people think mere numbers mean that we can hang up on you and deprive you of, you know, the use of your property or, or the, the choices that you want to make. And, and that's not how those individual rights work. To, to make it as simple as possible, and I, I, by the way, I agree with the caller who said, G.F. Griffin is an absolute treasure. That guy explains things so well. The, the measure of whether something should be allowed or not is whether it is peaceful or not. Anything peaceful ought to be legal. I like that. Anything peaceful should be legal. Well said. Let's go back to the phone lines. Seth, you're on with Andy and with Brian, and uh, we knew you were calling, man. What's up? Um, two of my favorite people, and I'm going to ask <laughs> Brian Hyde, and maybe you can help him. Um, Brian, do you have your Constitution with you today? I do not have one on me at this moment. I'm sorry to say. How about Andy? Does he have one? Uh, you know, somewhere in the studio, amongst my piles of paper, is a mini constitution. But honestly, I, it would. I, this is radio, and I don't have time to find it right now. No, that's okay. You've got one in the premises anyway. Yes. So uh, I'm, you're going to know the answer to this right away without having to look it up. But I'd like you to, when you have a moment, I'd like you to turn to the page and the, the uh, article and the section and read to me at some point how St. George and Cedar City got to have police forces when they were supposed to have sheriffs. Hmm. Pretty sure that's not in there, is it? Are we talking the state constitution or the Utah constitution? Utah, you know, the one they swear to God. No, the state, both. They swear an oath to God to follow the constitution. I talked to the sheriff um, on Friday and asked him uh, if he'd like to be in charge of all police uh, action, and he said he'd love to... Uh, be the sheriff of Washington County with complete control and with re accountability for his actions and those of his police officers that are appointed, not elected. You got a hold of Corey and he told you that? 
Corey Pulsifer? I, I, no, no, no. I'm, I'm not. Uh, I, I got <laughs> off of that, but he certainly oh, thinks okay. he ought to be the elected law enforcement arm, like Vegas and like Los, uh, uh, like other places around the world. L.A. Uh, the sheriff has a unified police department that he's accountable to. Uh, what do you think, Brian? Do you think? I mean. There, that's kind of been the talk the last few days on this show is, you know, we should go away from from not going to call them privatized because they're so public uh, police departments. But these are these are guys that are appointed and not elected versus a sheriff. There is accountability in that election. And I think that uh, that makes a world of difference. In my experience, I've seen sheriffs more uh, apt to stand up for the citizens because of that direct accountability. than then I'll sometimes see with appointed, you know, uh, police chiefs and, and so forth it's been my experience though with sheriffs that unless there's something egregious happens you know some kind of scandal it seems like 99 times out of 100 a sheriff is reelected. yeah it does seem to be a pretty stable position and, and you know that's i just think that the the franchise of the voters and the ability of the people to directly hold that law enforcement official accountable um, provides a necessary check and balance of that government power. And you don't see that as much within the municipalities, which sometimes means the, the municipalities will be uh, a little more aggressive in you know, things like uh, traffic enforcement or code enforcement, things like that. All right. Uh, let's see. I, I'm, I'm late on weather. We're going we're gonna to go ahead and hold off for another minute because I wanted to ask you about what, what, what cultural revolution means to you, Brian, as pertains to the context we're talking about today. Um, it would be it would behoove everybody to to delve into China's cultural revolution and see what the young Maoists did when they overthrew all the vestiges of old China and replaced it with the with essentially the great leap forward uh, into what Chairman Mao wanted China to look like because you're seeing something very similar play out right now in our major cities. Seattle is, is a good example with that six block you know, um, autonomous zone. Um, the, you know, I, I, I mistakenly refer to the little revolutionaries, the Antifa types out in the street as Bolsheviks. No, I think they're probably more in line with Mao. And that's mm. a piece of history every one of us should be familiar with. I read that article and another one related article, and I can tell you it's, it's kind of scary. Not kind of. It's really scary what the young people in China were able to accomplish and how it kind of got out of their control. I think they wanted one thing or kind of, it kind of shifted on them and they couldn't do anything about it once the ball was rolling. And, uh, you know, is, is that even possible here in the United States of America, Brian? Well, I don't know. Is anybody destroying monuments or, hmm. you know, making sure that you can't say certain words? Or, you know, in other words, are we distancing ourselves from all of the vestiges of what came before and, do they have struggle sessions like the, you know, the People's Republic uh, of China Army would have? Or the, the, basically, the communist activists would, would denounce people publicly. They'd have to confess their sins and be humiliated. Seems like, seems like we have some vestige of that going on here. Yes, we do. Just try to make any kind of controversial statement in public, and you'll find yourself vilified and even perhaps crucified nowadays. Sad. Yep. All right, Brian. Well, thanks for coming on today. Again, uh, LovingLiberty.net is the website. I encourage you to go and listen to Brian's podcast. They are entertaining and interesting and at times even controversial. Brian, a little bit of that? <laughs> a little. Just, just a touch. <laughs> All right. Great to talk to you today. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, Andy.
We'll talk to you later. Brian Hyde, and again, we're working on making him a permanent fixture on the weekends here on KDXU. Got to get a weather break in. I blew, well, I only missed it by eight minutes or something, folks, so... Yes, again, Thursday, I'll be there live at the Barbecue Pit Stop. It's uh, 400 East in the Boulevard. It's in that, remember the Oak Plus Street Theaters? It's back behind there, and uh, that place is so cool. It's got so much stuff uh, from barbecue sauces, rubs, uh, wood chips, pellets, uh, of course, any kind of smoking you can imagine, including the uh, now very popular and very awesome Yoder smokers. So that's the Barbecue Pit Stop there, uh, just off the Boulevard uh, on Flood Street. It is a 9.42. Let's do this. Let's go right to the phone line. Caller, you're on with Andy this morning. How are you? Yeah. Um, I called in on Friday, and I forgot what I was going to say. But what it was was it was about schools and kids and COVID. And, you know, they use ultraviolet uh, lights in hospitals now to clean, to disinfect them as patients are out. That's right. And I wondered if they, if they couldn't have that in classrooms. And then I thought, well, it really couldn't be when the kids are in there because UV causes skin cancer. But I don't know, somehow, some way, and I went online and I found these little handheld ones. <laughs> but I don't know, you know, something like that. It's an idea and for sure. Other- they, 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 yeah. They've got a big old problem they've got to figure out before August, I don't know, whatever, the first day of school, August 17th or whatever it is. Uh, well, and, you know, it could be in hair salons, too, um, you're, you know, if you're set up, you could just use UV lights in your for your lighting. I guess I don't know, and because uh, I know that um, for gel nails, it's UV lights. But then they were worried, starting to wear little gloves and just have your fingers out because the UV lights were causing skin cancer. Oh, so man. they said. I think hmm. they're not as strong as the sun, and they couldn't do that. But that's that's one issue. And the other thing is all of this tearing down the Confederate history. So say in four or five generations, these little kids coming up, uh, black kids, how are they, they're not going to know where, what, how far they've come. They're not going to. They're going to go what? Confederate? What? We were slaves? Because the history will be taken out of the books and gone. Yeah, it's. So it, you repeat your history if if you if you take it away. That's right. Those who are, are, aren't aware of a history are doomed to repeat it, right? Isn't that the it's, it's something like that? Thank you for the call today. Uh, real quickly, I want, to, I want to talk about this, and then we'll get uh, Erica Martine on the air. Uh, I, I found this over the weekend, and I first of all, if you've listened to the show, you probably know I love Hawaii. We've been to Hawaii three times. Every time was just perfect. I mean, it, even things that went wrong turned out to be fantastic memories. But Hawaii is in a crisis right now. They've lost $2 billion in tourism dollars over the last three months. And uh, they're so afraid of COVID-19 and what might happen that they have decided to extend it through July. And when I say extend it, extend what? They're extending their lockdown, uh, including, imagine this, okay, you've, You've saved your whole life and you got a trip to Hawaii. Now the airlines are open again. You're like, oh, I can take my trip. Okay. You better be staying longer than two weeks because for the first 14 days when you get to Hawaii, you're not allowed out of your hotel room unless there's a medical emergency. And not only that, not only are you subject to a 14-day mandatory self-quarantine, but uh, – the Hawaii governor has issued an edict that landlords, people who, whether it's the hotel proprietor or if you rent a VRBO, the landlord of the, of the place you're renting, they are culpable 
They are financially responsible if you go out when you're not supposed to go out. They can be fined as well. You're subject to, I think it was a $5,000 fine and up to a year in jail. The landlord, if they see you go out and they don't snitch on you, they don't report you, they can also be fined and sent to jail. It's crazy. It's like, I mean, I lived through the the Cold War War in in Russia, and they're, they're talking about, they're talking about, you know, not letting people go outside for 14 days when you get to Hawaii. Now, I, I had a lot of people complain about Utah. Oh man, we, we're we, you know they closed businesses and people are losing money and and yeah, it was sad. They're, but they've always been guidelines. Nobody has been fined. Nobody has been arrested. If you go to Hawaii, though, if you go to Hawaii and you try to walk out of your hotel and walk across the street and buy a coconut, you're going to jail. Un- unbelievable. Wow. All right. Got to take a break. Uh, when we come back, we will have uh, Erica Martine from ABC4. She's going to talk to us a little bit about her background. I figure since we get to hear the weather every day from Erica, it'd be kind of nice to actually uh, get to know who this person is. So she'll talk a little bit about her background. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll also take some phone calls as we progress through the hour. I do want to thank Joe Shoney. He's been a big sponsor of the show for as long as I've been on the show. His phone number is six seven or excuse me, 590 435-590-6300. He is uh, online. He has a uh, 360 plus reviews so far online with an incredible average of 4.91 out of five stars. Incredible numbers for Joe Shoney. The latest, this is Dave five star. Dave says, I use Joe as a lender for a reason. I have connected him to many clients because he works hard to provide the best service for my clients. I've never had a client come to me and complain about his services, which is a big plus in my book. Five stars from David. For Joe Shoney, 435-590-6300, or email joe.shoney at nafinc.com. Welcome back to the Andy Griffin Show. I'm Andy. Thanks for tuning in today on this sunshiny Monday morning. And uh, we've got Erica Martine on the phone. Erica, how are you today? I'm well, thank you. Um, having a great day. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for coming on the program. Now, everybody's <laughs> like, Erica, I know that name. What do I know her? She's our weather lady, and, and uh, Erica has uh, been providing forecast. How long have you been doing the forecast here uh, for us in St. George? Gosh, for uh, three months now. So I started uh, in March, and uh, I've been making it through everything, every obstacle that could possibly come along for the past uh, three months, yeah. Learning, so it's been a unique uh, start. <laughs> yeah, learning a lot about Utah, kind of on-the-job training. Tell us tell us kind of your history. Where are you from, and how did you end up in, in Salt Lake City doing the weather? Well, um, I actually um, am a meteorologist from the East Coast. I um, forecasted in Philadelphia, um, okay. in New York City, for Good Morning America, World News Tonight. So I do a lot of severe weather coverage. Um, and I was finishing my graduate studies in environmental science and sustainability. So um, kind of just paired it all together. And as I was completing my program, um, I decided, you know, how can I kind of combine meteorology with my environmental studies? And so I found a great station that could, you know, understand my vision of environment and of, uh, of all the stuff that I'm working on right now. And so it just kind of worked out really well. Like this is a great team that's kind of advanced uh, as far as the weather department goes. We don't just think about meteorology or just the weather. We think about the entire kind of synoptic um, aspect of environmental science. 
Now, I don't know if you knew this, Erica, probably not. My dad is a meteorologist. Uh, he's retired, long, long since retired, but uh, he actually worked at Channel 4 back in the 80s. And was a, no, I had no idea. Yeah, he was a weather forecaster, Rod Griffin. There might be, ask some of the old timers there, they might remember him. But uh, yeah, he, he and Clayton Bruff were the Great. weather team there for quite some time. Oh, that's fantastic. Oh, I love, I love the history. Well, I mean, I'm loving, I honestly, I'm loving Utah. You know, when, when the time came for me to choose the perfect station for me, it just came down to the, um, the team. And this is a super strong team. You know, um, that's always kind of been more, the more impressive thing is because, you know, when you have a strong weather team, you have to kind of pass the baton on at the end of the night or the, you know, for the next shift. And you have to under, like, feel that your entire team has a solid grasp of the science. And well, we have a really strong team that really understands it here. So it's just been a great experience. And for somebody like me, you know, I've chased tornadoes for, um, I think, in total, I've put 150,000 miles on my truck. Oh, wow. So I've. Yeah, I've chased several tornadoes and uh, hurricanes, so I've um, definitely had my fair share of severe weather. So coming here to a team that's just super bright was icing for me on the cake. My dad, it's so funny because uh, you guys will warn us, don't go out outside in a thunderstorm. They're lightning. You're likely, you know, don't stand under a tree. But uh, oh, I don't know if you're yeah. like, I don't know if you're like my dad. But as soon as there was lightning, he was the first one outside watching it and studying it. So, but but he knows that's that's the, that's the difference. See, he <laughs> he knew, and I bet you he didn't do what we all call like hot dogging, which means like you understand it to a certain point, but then there's that respect that you have for Mother Nature, where you're like, oh, I'm not. Like, the one thing with us, and I'm sure this is with your dad, like, you understand the weather, so you you kind of give it that respect. Like, you're not going to mm-hmm. be the highest point in a field if there's a thunderstorm, right? You know, like, and you're not going to be carrying a golf club, right? So there are certain things, and as yeah. soon as you find you see something going on, you're going to find shelter. So I think that's one of the things that has to be understood with any meteorologist. Like, we are, we're aware of our surroundings at all times. Last week. Now I'm going to have to Google you and your dad now. (laughs) all just here. (laughs) Last week, uh, a young man was struck by lightning in Eagle Mountain area, I think it was. That was actually my nephew. We had him on the show talking about his experience. But uh, what came up a lot to him, especially people saying, well, why did you go out when there was a storm outside? He said, well, we went for a walk. There was no storm when we left on our walk. And, you know, an hour later, we're almost home. And that's when the cloud rolled in. So, uh, what are some of the precautions maybe that, that you would you would throw out there, Erica, as far as thunderstorms? Sure. Okay, so there's a couple of things that I have to give you guys a heads up on. Is mm-hmm. You know, when you see these things, the first thing you don't want to be is the highest point, correct? So right. if you're outside and you're in an open field, like you don't want to be the tallest point. I mean, I'm five feet tall, so even I don't <laughs> want to be the tallest point. <laughs> you just stand, I'm, I'm stand by me, you'll be fine because I'm 6'5". I'll be so. fine. You're, you'll, you'll be the one in danger. Uh-huh. So, um, you don't want to be the highest point. You certainly don't want to be near water, you know. Uh, or standing in water, um, you don't want to have anything that could be a conductor, right? Uh, and you actually just want to be respectful of Mother Nature, and I think that's the key when you speak to, like, any of the meteorologists, especially here. Like, you have that respect to understand, and unless you really understand how to count, right? So you'll go, like, one, they always tell you one Mississippi, two Mississippi, to five or six. Mm-hmm. So up to every five or six Mississippi, the uh, storm is about a mile away. Right. So you just have to be respectful. Like, unless you don't know those, so... I advise that you learn those, but if you don't understand those rules, it's best to just not play around because it's one of those things where people, like I personally, I don't do floods. As soon as I see flooding, you know, turn around, don't drown, that corny saying, I I observe it. I respect it because you don't know what's underneath that water. It's not just because they're saying, oh, you can be swept away. It's like there could be a power line down there. 
So there's so many things you have to be aware of. So in that case, just don't be the ta- just don't be the tallest, or maybe even have a lightning tracker with you. You can download it onto your phone. You can download our app, and you can track lightning strikes and something just so that you have an understanding of where you are. If for some reason you get caught somewhere and you can't get to like shelter. Now, I, I've covered sports for many years, and uh, when there's lightning, I think that the Utah rule right now is if there's lightning within three miles of the stadium, they'll actually clear the stands. And, uh, you have to. But, but the, the funny thing is most people, well, some people won't leave at all. Other people, they'll go stand in the parking lot or they'll stand underneath the stands. Or uh, and what, sure. what should be the protocol here, Erica? Well, in this case, you, I mean, usually you can go indoors. They'll usually mm-hmm. have like a, a venue or some kind of like, you know, um, you know, food stand or a food court or something to go in on. You're okay inside the car um, unless there's some kind of like tornadic activity or some kind of like, uh, you know, microburst or derecho or something that could be really strong and impactful as far as winds go. Right. But for the most part, I would just say go inside the bathroom. For example, like a tornado, it's always best to be in a bathtub. Um, things like that. You don't want to be near, near windows. Just it's, But with that kind of thing, like just like say namely lightning strikes, you want to be indoors if possible. It's not stay in your car and just be safe. But you don't want to be outside. And I, I understand. And it's, it's just we do that because we've seen those freak accidents. Mm-hmm. You know, we've seen them mm-hmm. all. And so that's oftentimes what we kind of give credence to is like a freak accident happening. And you could be, I could be standing next to Andy and Andy doesn't get struck by lightning, but I do. Yeah, yeah. Well, that, that, that's <laughs> pretty much what happened me. with my nephew. He got he got the brunt of it and his wife just felt a little bit of electricity in the air. So, uh, oh, all right. Yeah. Now, now I got to ask you, okay, we got a guy here at work. In fact, he's my boss. His name is Marty. His real name is Martin. And I've been calling him Martine lately. Uh, it is Martin. Mm-hmm. Yes. Now, tell us about your origin of your name and why I should keep calling him Martin. <laughs> because it sounds cool. Yeah, <laughs> it does. Cool. I like it. It's Martin. Yeah. So, um, it's my mother is from Puerto Rico. My father's from Mexico. So, I'm definitely Latina. Um, my I have a lot of names to be quite honest. Like you know, I think when you're Latino, you your parents put on every family name that you uh-huh, have. Uh-huh. So it's a really long name. That's just my. That's just the name I is abbreviated version. Um, oh, can we so hear the whole I, one real quick? Your whole name real quick. <laughs> well, I can't just for like, no, it's fine. Just for safety reasons. I can, okay. I can kind of just shout it out. You know, it's fine, but it's, I have like four last names. So let's just leave it there. <laughs> okay. <All laughs> leave right. it there. But it's Martin. And so um, there's an accent over the I, right? So, mm-hmm. so it sounds like an E. Um, but yeah, I think you should still call him Martin Lane. I will. I'm going to. He's Martin Lane. I, I've been doing. Actually, I've been doing it ever since you've uh, you've came on here. I've been calling him that, and I don't know if he likes it like or not. It. But I'm, I'm not going to stop. So he seems fun. He seems fun. Now, Erica, uh, we're all, we're short on time, but I, I I've been impressed with your attitude. You're, I mean, you're you're perky. Is that is that okay to call you perky? I, I it's better than being horrible, right? That's right. That's right. I like when I, when I called when I first spoke to you. You said, "Yeah, life is." I'm like, "Yeah, life is great." Like, what? Honestly, like things are good in life, and and honest. And the good thing is, we're kind of recuperating as far as COVID goes and all this stuff, and we're just in a great place. So I think just appreciate life, and that's kind of just how I, I take it. That's good. It's always life good. Is that, life is meant to be fun. Yeah, that's one of the fun things in the morning. You know, <laughs> you and I. Oh, and by the way, uh, I get up really early in the morning, but I do not get up as early as Erica Martin. Uh, not even oh, close. Yeah. You're up like at at three thirty or something. No, one. One? What? So Yeah, you... I hit the gym early. I work out soup like by one thirty. I'm like I like to be all worked out and oh yoga out and then I 
Yeah, it's okay. I have lots of energy. I, again, I have no complaints. Life is good. That's... Weather is awesome. It's just fun here. It's a great lifestyle, I'll tell you what. Coming from the East Coast and just living in different places, this is just a beautiful lifestyle. I think there's highbrow, like there's this highbrow quality to it, and there's just like so much activity. So it's just really, really fun. Erica, I got to run. Time for news. But thanks for coming Bye, on guys. today. Bye, Martin.